Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights here with Rich Klein. We're going to give a tribute today to our, our friend who's just very recently passed, uh, was not in good health, Josh Evans, Joshua Leland Evans, hence the name Leland's, uh, the uh, auction house touted as the first specifically sports memorabilia auction house from a long time ago, 85. Thanks, sponsors. I do have two auction sponsors who have followed in those footsteps. Huggins and Scott Auctions and Heritage Auctions, and then, of course, Topps Panini and Upper Deck. Mike's Stadium Sports Cards, Burbank Sports Cards, CompC.com, and Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication. So welcome, Rich. Uh, sad news to hear about Josh uh, passing. He was a, a, a real fixture at the National and a lot of the big shows, especially on the East Coast, and, a, and an amazing guy. So I'm so sad to see him gone. What's your take on that, Rich? And well, welcome to the show. You mentioned he was the first. In 1988, Josh did an, an auction at the Atlantic City National in conjunction with the Jackie Robinson Foundation. And that was the first auction in conjunction with the National. I remember Maureen Durham going to me, well, there were these dealers and we have Rachel Robinson there and these dealers are dressed in t-shirts and shorts. And I actually just started laughing. I said, you're at a sports card show. These are baseball card dealers. They're not bringing jackets and ties with them to these events. You, you got to remember whom you're dealing with and where you're dealing with them from. The next year was a top, first copy vault auction. 91 was the Copeland auction. Those were held in places where I would have expected people to be more dressed up, but not at the national itself. But give Josh credit. He really did blaze the trail for auctions at these big nationals, and many companies have done them since. I can relate to that. I really like starting something and getting something going and creating something. And I think he had that same bent that nobody's done this before, but I can do it. And he jumped out there and he did it, and he did it well for a long time. And you're right, at the beginning, he knew how to publicize himself. The next year after the national auction, he did the Freddie Lindstrom card from that from that set in the 1930s, where it's the million-dollar card. It was like unknown. And then he would go around with it. I don't think it's a million-dollar card. Maybe today it would be because it's so rare and scarce. But then it was more the publicity and getting the auction name. I agree. I think he had a sense of marketing. Some of these people in the industry have come on strong lately. And they might think that some of the icons of the industry just kind of all of a sudden popped up and were overnight successes. But Josh was very well known and respected and established even before he set up his company. He, he didn't just show up and he, he had an awful lot of knowledge before he started. He actually had a couple of partners, if you recall, when he started Leland's. And one of them was our good friend, Mike Jasperson. And the other was uh, my good friend, Herman Kaufman, who was an appellate attorney in, on the East Coast, extremely bright and knowledgeable, very uh, an advanced collector. As, and But Jaspi was Mike Jasperson. I, I had known his dad, so I didn't know Mike as well back in those days, but he'd grown up in the industry. And so very natural partnership for Josh to to line up with, with Jaspi and, and Herman. I think it was hatched at the Persephone National because I knew those guys. And I, I remember some discussion about that, especially with Herman. I was doing a lot of uh, stuff with Herman back in those days. And I think it was hatched. It was birthed. And then in 85, it came out and to great success, I think. Yes. And, and Josh's parents, we talked earlier in an ep one of the earlier episodes about how my dad sent me back to the store to buy more 73 packs when I opened and saw blank that Josh's parents were antique dealers. And it's the same thing. He got the urge from them. One other thing I noticed, I've done a, several of these episodes, I don't think with you, Rich, because you're younger than me, but the mortality episodes I've done that talk about what happens in the industry when somebody passes away, whether that's a sudden thing or an illness where you have some time to plan. But my guess is Josh 
he'd already brought Michael Hefner into the business as, as a full partner. It's just a huge loss because Josh was a visionary, but it, it would seem like Leland's, the auction house, will carry on. Would that be your assessment? That would be my sense. I, you know, he's got a staff. You lose the big guy, but it continues, just like with all the contributors Bill Huggins has, as Huggins and Scottard, with the staff heritage has. If, if something happened to Chris Ivey or Bill Huggins at this point, the auction house should and would be able to continue. It might not continue quite the same way, but it will definitely continue. I, I want to say something about Josh now. We're talking about how important he was in the business. The last time I saw him was a couple of years ago. We didn't get to see anybody this year. So it's another reason why it's disappointing, even though we understand why John Brogy, Etta Hirsch, and the national team had to cancel the 2020 national. But Josh had his own health problems, but we had talked and he was going to help me with the quest for getting Dina, my wife, a new kidney. I had finally got an email ready to send him and I sent him and thankfully a group she had been working with in New York came up with a suitable donor and we found a donor and her brother really has enough money where he just basically sponsored the trip out of his own pocket, thankfully. And we didn't have really major financial issues come out of that where other people could have by going to New York for two months. So we were very blessed on that. But I always wanted to thank Josh because Josh was willing to do that. And we didn't know each other. We knew each other, but not that well. But the fact that he was going to spend all that time to help, or at least put me in contact with people was a real blessing. Rich, I think you're probably this this way as well. But individuals in the industry, I can't say they're in two categories, but there's an analytical element of understanding a complicated hobby. There's a lot of players and a lot of prices and things like that. But there's also a relational element. And I think I probably am slightly more analytical first and relational second, and I'm working on that. Uh, you're, I think, more relational, but also strongly analytical. And so is Josh, I think. Yes. I think relationships were a big deal to him. And a lot of his, they weren't fines, but he knew how to uh, develop the relationship to get some of these, not acquisitions, but to bring them into the auction house. I think he was really good at that because I think he cared about people and was, but he knew his stuff, but he also kindled the relationship. And he also had one of the greatest things on relationships I ever saw anybody do with the national. One year, three, four, five years ago, maybe six at this point, he just advertised in advance, I will have a coffee pot set up at the national at all times. If you just need some caffeine or something, or you just want to hang out, just grab a cup of coffee. And with the way I end up sometimes running on fumes at the national, I'll tell you, those cups of coffee were very beneficial. I think that, that coffee strategy for the national trumps Mark Harwell's donut strategy for that national many years before that. <laughs> well, I will tell you that the donut and coffee strategy at the year 2000 kind of worked too. That was the yeah. national. We got so busy that I think you and I ended up as the only two people left on the floor and everybody else was helping grading. After which the game plan began, let's make sure that everybody in grading has a backup plan to get to the national if they so desire so we don't have to call everybody off the floor in the future. I've heard the stories. I never went to the grading room, but I heard the stories of Margaret Steele, our vice president, sitting Indian style on the floor, putting labels into the cards at two in the morning just so we could get the cards to everybody. And it was, everybody got pulled off the floor at that show. It was an amazing experience. Well, that, that points out the auction houses and our company, PSA, ComC now, they, we, they straddle the corporate as well as the dealer aspect of the industry. They have a little bit larger presence. But like you said, with our old company, there was a, a very substantial grading element behind the curtain. And then there was a counter. But for Josh and these auction houses, you're at the counter. You're meeting and greeting. You're showing people what's coming up in the next big auction. And I think he delighted in that. 
he did. He was a people person. And I think he really enjoyed meeting and talking and finding new things for the hobby and knowing how to publicize them. And once he got really good help, like Mike Hefner along, it really made his whole company stronger. And that's a really nice legacy to have. It seemed like lately, I'm getting the sense that they're moving a little bit more into cards because cards has been so much of where the action uh, has been the, this year. But it seemed like the last few auctions, they'd moved a little more into cards because I think they always had cards, but I think their real strength was memorabilia because I think Josh loved to tell a story. You do too. I do too. The story of how the item was acquired or the circumstances. And so I think Josh was a storyteller. And, and there's a lot about the stories. There are several people in the hobby and they tell about the story of how cards got found. And the stories of how cards get found, about how memorabilia gets found is better. That was one of the things that made Barry Halper so much fun back in the day. He had stories. The stories of how I drove up to wherever Roger Connors' hometown was to buy the weather vane he had on top of his house. That's a unique piece of memorabilia, but going to make sure he drove there made it an even better story. Who would think of getting an item from a Hall of Famer such as that? I'm such an analytical guy. I, I want my stories to be 100% accurate. If a story is 95% accurate, <laughs> that's okay with me because stories you know, are, are memories and, and memory's not infallible anyway. But there's some great stories out there that are substantially true Maybe exaggerated a little bit, but that's part of the marketing. When I write a story, I always try to get the verifiable facts and make sure the verifiable facts are right. But my memory might be correct or might not be correct in certain cases. Usually your memory is correct, right. but sometimes we forget certain things. Yeah, I, Josh was an unforgettable character. He had a prominent table at the National always. I, I could always see him there. I'm trying to think of the times I went by his table. I think always he was talking to somebody. I could go up and talk to him too, but... But he was always talking to somebody. And like I said, I think very highly relational. And that's, that's a, a real recipe for success. You put it's a lot of passion, a lot of knowledge, and a, and a desire to help people, which auction houses are basically intermediaries trying to connect the great stuff with people that want it and assuring that the, that the consigners are going to be treated well. I think he really understood that whole process. And he was also good for his family. He's got his sister set up with the thing on eBay called Evans Archives. And it's stuff that does not fit into the Leland's auction routine, but it's a perfect eBay type item. And, and then I looked at them last night, and there was really cool stuff that was on the site. And it wasn't necessarily for what Leland's was doing. You'd have to make 100 of those photos at once. But for eBay, one at a time is a perfect way to go. You know, the other aspect of this, and I've, I've got an interview with somebody coming up soon that has a lot of photos from the early days of the hobby, and we're going to go over that. But I'm guessing Josh has a lot of, like I say, memories, but maybe photos and of, of some of those early shows on the East Coast, where it'd be fun for you or I to try to identify some of the people in the picture. Gone, sometimes forgotten, but great to remember some of the, the good old days where Josh was there, you were there, I was there, that we're talking about the early 80s, maybe the late 70s. I did my first show in 1979, and I've been walking around for a couple of years before that. So I got into the hobby officially in about 77. Yeah. My holiday present was of subscriptions to Sports Collectors Digest and The Trader Speaks. All right. I guess I forgive you for not getting a subscription to the publication that didn't exist yet. <laughs> right. I, I can't subscribe to what doesn't exist in 1977. No, I know you would have. Yes. And I, did, I, mean, I subscribed to everything back in the day. I was, I was supposedly among the first hundred subscribers to Beckett Monthly. Yeah. And I know I was among the first hundred subscribers to Baseball Hobby News. 
yeah. I used to know because they showed me once where I was in the subscription in the number and subscription when I went to subscription one day. You're like in the top hundred of the first people that subscribed. Well, I think it was like ninety-seven or something like that. I'm the one that developed the initial subscription system, the software. <laughs> I'm no Tim Getch, but simple. You take the money and you put in the name and address and what when they expire. But we quickly outgrew that. But I was the one that started numbering them, I guess, at, at number one. So which I don't remember who was number one. I know Max Silverman was number one for baseball hockey news. Okay. And we love Max. Max was a we, we did a Philadelphia tribute a while back, and Max could have been in that because he's another of the great Philadelphia characters. The lastly for Josh, basically, I think he was instrumental in bringing sports memorabilia. Cards already had a following, but memorabilia was tough because you couldn't complete a set. Each item stood on its own. And so developing an auction house around finding some of this great memorabilia and making it available. And my guess is if you looked at some of the old catalogs, anything that you would have bought back 30 plus years ago has gone up, especially if it was tough. It's, it's just gone up like crazy. So. And a lot of memorabilia is one-of-a-kind items. In those days, they weren't players. You weren't getting players signing 500 photos or 500 baseballs or mini helmets or hockey pucks or footballs. That's more than one. But a lot of the stuff Josh has truly is one. That's a good note to end on, Rich. Thanks. I think Josh was one-of-a-kind. He's really going to be missed. I can't be replaced. But like I said, I'm very thankful that he's has a plan through the uh, legacy of his auction house through Michael Hefner that'll go on. It's always sad. This has been the toughest year in my life of uh, losing friends and associates and people I looked up to and people I watched on the field and off the field. And uh, Josh is, is uh, right up there. We've lost seven baseball Hall of Famers this year, and we've probably lost even more hobby Hall of Famers this year. Thanks, Rich, for uh, walking through that. Uh, our condolences to the Josh's family and, and, and other friends. When we do these podcasts, uh, this is an episode that had to be done Josh, one of the real pioneers, and every auctioneer should thank Josh that that he, he helped blaze the trail. So thanks, everybody. Be back again tomorrow with another episode. The man in-